So there is a, a lot. Um, I'm going to go over a quick review. Um, I don't know if I actually kind of made the whole point of why I'm taking this approach because uh, my mind is, is kind of like a spider web. It's all connected so I can go left, right, up, down, and all around, but it hopefully it all is one big major point. Uh, and the major point is I want us to, because in my studying of theology proper uh, and specifically looking at God the Father, the, the deeper I went into studying about God the Father, uh, the, the more uh, revelation I had by studying the other, what I would call little gods. <laughs> um, I was able to connect some dots in my mind. Um, whether, you know, you can do your own study, and I encourage you to do your own study and, and dig deeper uh, into it, um, you know, because there's a lot of different uh, thoughts out there. But in my mind, uh, just the way the dots were connected and then through scriptures, I'm hoping uh, to use the, the first week and then conclude this week uh, to show you the significance of these little gods that were influencing, um, I mean, since the Garden of Eden, you know, um, and how that actually points you to God. Um, and it's just, it was mind-blowing to me, um, as simple as it is. And, and uh, so that's my goal, just to use this to, to project us to that. So uh, I started off with the question, why do civilizations, people, cultures around the world have gods, little little G's? Um, and, you know, we talked about fear. We talked about um, just an innate ability that we just want to serve a higher power. Uh, and even those who don't even believe in a God, uh, they pretty much elevate themselves to God. So they're believing in themselves as God uh, because they don't have any moral compass. They just kind of make their own right, wrong, and this and that. Um, so, I mean, you can, many, many, many uh, different uh, reasons uh, out there. Um, the cultures that we, we talked about uh, were the Greeks. Uh, we also talked about the Egyptians. Uh, there's a lot of crossover, and today uh, we're going to look specifically at some uh, people of the Bible uh, that surrounded the Israelites and kind of influenced them uh, and how they overlap. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, the Greeks, the Egyptians, uh, even the ones we're, we're going to go over today. Uh, they all had like this main God who held a lightning bolt and this and that. Uh, some called him Zeus, some called him Osiris, some called him this, that, but it was all kind of, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the same. Um, talked about how they did rituals. Uh, they believed that they had to do these spiritual rituals at death and other ceremonies. Um, this was uh, the tomb of Queen Nefertari. Um, and it's probably, they, they called this the, uh, uh, the Sistine Chapel of Egypt, uh, pretty much. It's the most decorated tomb that they found and it's the the most preserved uh, that they found and all the artwork symbolizes different things uh, this is uh, on the bottom the book of the dead uh, which it contained uh, ritual spells and incantations and instructions for 
the underworld. Um, so it kind of protects them as they go to the underworld and live there uh, and, and kind of reign there. Um, this was the first wife of Ramses II, uh, and that was pretty significant because we talked about how, you know, just throughout, you know, Scripture, uh, all the different pharaohs and stuff kind of overlap, and that's a whole study in itself. Um, but what I took us to at the very end then uh, was Acts uh, 17, uh, 16, where Paul went into uh, Athens and uh, it said, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You know, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Uh, and then it goes down through and it talks about, um, in verse 22, Paul then uh, stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am about to proclaim to you. So they had this fear that, yes, they had all these different gods. I mean, the Egyptians have over 1,500 gods, right? And how to keep that in, in perspective, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. Um, but he said they even had this one, just in case they forgot one, right? Um, and Paul's like, well, guess what? I can tell you about this unknown God. And that's how he preaches to uh, Athens. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, God revealed himself, and that's where we're going to be next week, uh, general revelation, and then we'll go into specific re revelation, um, because God has revealed himself over and over and over. And uh, as we move through uh, <coughs> the new material today, hopefully you'll be able uh, to kind of see, uh, just in the beginning in Genesis and Exodus, um, how he started to uh, reveal himself. In my conclusion of the, the first week, I, I would say that this is kind of where I fall. Uh, I'm convinced we're just naturally created to believe uh, with fear and respect a higher power, right? We don't know what it is, right? Uh, I know that I've talked to a lot of people in my life about this void, you know? Uh, talk about situations in your life, and people may ask, well, how did you, how did you do that? Like, how did you get through that? You know, or they say, you know, I'm missing something. And, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is, well, yeah, the void. There's only one thing that can fill the void, right? And that's the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, anything in my life that I can get through is through Him. So in that same mindset, you know, we look towards a higher power. And what is that higher power? Uh, and that's God, ultimately, it's, it's God, and we should have that reverence, that, that fear and respect and, and love for God. Um, and uh, so in doing that, um, we are going to be getting into some new stuff here. And you shouldn't have given me an extra week because Joanna told me I have to stop, but I, I couldn't. So I kept adding stuff. Um, you know, when you're just laying on the couch and, and you can't really move and there's nothing to do, you know, and I'm just going through the laptop and, and kind of going over this and restudying. I'm like, well, you know, your mind starts to go on little rabbit trails and you start to search that. And that's like, ooh, that could fit. 
And uh, so I have two whole brand new note cards that aren't even in my team. So I took this picture. I actually added this. Um, this is uh, Mount Safan, a Syrian city of Ugarit, uh, on the Syrian and Turkish border. Uh, this is significant, right? Um, because this is believed. Now, again, do your research if you're into this. But when I started studying the mythology of certain gods in the Bible, and connected the dots. This is to so-called believe uh, the earliest where, uh, if you're familiar with the, the god L, capital E, lowercase L, uh, this is believed to be a site. Uh, they even found worship sites on top of the mountain, altars and stuff uh, on this particular mountain. Uh, but the mountain here isn't just this one mountain. I mean, I went through and looked up uh, we have Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments was given. We have Mount Tabor, Tabor uh, where Jesus was uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we have a mountain being uh, Mount Gerizim, uh, where Jesus and the Samaritan woman uh, happened. We have the Mount of Olives. Uh, David escaped uh, to this area, and then that's ultimately where Jesus prayed. Uh, Mount Nebo, uh, Moses saw the Promised Land from this mountain. Um, Mount Moriah, Mount Carmel, uh, Mount Aramis. I mean, there, these mountains were significant. And that is significant to know because these mountains look powerful. They're majestic. Like, they're huge. And El kind of means powerful and mighty, and that's why they wanted to worship this god El on top of the mountain. So these mountains were very significant at this time, uh, specifically to the Canaanites. Um, this was, El was the supreme uh, god of the Canaanites uh, in the ancient east. Uh, he was the father of gods. Uh, his symbol is a bull, uh, which is power and strength. Uh, they call him Storm God, which is kind of uh, ironic. Remember the Zeus comment? Um, and then uh, he was usually depicted holding a lightning bolt. <laughs> uh, so we have El who is this like main god okay throughout this this region throughout this whole area and you know the israelites are are in here well then as you're reading through scripture we get another god in judges and kings which pastor brad uh, taught on and you heard the name asherah well in mythology uh, which i never knew this and again study it okay uh many believe that this was el's wife okay and if you look through different uh, uh, Greek and Egyptian uh, cultures, they will have not only a hierarchy of rankings of gods of more powerful than others, but some of them are actually their, their families. <laughs> um, they're related. They're married. They have sons in this. So, um, and I found that interesting uh, to think that you know we have El in, in the Bible, then we have Asherah, and then we have Baal, okay? Um, and Baal is actually in mythology El and Asherah's son, which I was like, what? That's weird. And Baal, capital B-A-A-L, uh, is actually uh, more powerful than his parents. Uh, they actually, uh, because he came from two, he was elevated uh, and became the chief, chief god of the... Canaanite pantheon. Um, and 
throughout Scripture, these connections, when uh, they say, you know, tear down the Asherah pole, uh, which we're going to get into in a little bit, and, and this is even kind of, kind of weird, uh, it's represented by a limbless tree in the ground. Um, so it's just like a post in the ground that goes as high as it can go, however high they want it to go. Um, and they just cut the limbs off and they'll decorate it, chisel out stuff on it and make it all pretty and, and stuff in honor of this goddess. Um, but that was what an Asherah pole looked like. Sometimes they would even uh, carve out at the top something like her head. Uh, they would also put uh, other things at the, at the top, but in most part it was just this vertical uh, pole. Um, uh, that was just stuck in the ground. And then we move to Hathor, which is the Egyptian goddess of joy, celebration, love. Uh, the Greeks knew her as Aphrodite. Uh, and um, her, the form here was strongly associated to uh, motherhood. Uh, and Hathor is mentioned uh, in Exodus 32 and then 1 Kings 12, 25 to 33. So the connection here between all these like little gods throughout the Old Testament, there's more significance when you actually look at them right, and study them and figure out, well, this is the influence that was going on around the Israelites. Okay? Uh, and then we jump to Beelzebub, who uh, in 2 Kings 1-2 is described as Lord of the Flies. Uh, in the New Testament, Beelzebul, um, meaning Lord of Dung or Lord of Filth. Uh, Beelzebub was elevated to be the Lord of Demons or the Prince of Demons, which was another name given to Satan. Um, and I don't know about this because this was just relatively new in, in the last week of study. Uh, this, the, the idea of this concept wasn't necessarily giving Satan this name, but giving the fact of um, the Lord of filth, so to speak, that concept of, of believing in filth and, and, and worshiping filth was kind of what they were describing. So could mean one person, but it also had that second meaning where it encompassed, you know, just everybody believing in, uh, this filth and, and, uh, so, uh, he was a pagan Philistine God, uh, um, yeah, and even in Matthew 12, 22 uh, to 28, um, let's go there because this one, we can go here for, for a little bit. Matthew chapter 12, 22 to 28. <clears throat> and I'll try to do my best to connect this here in, in a few minutes. Matthew 12, 22 to 28. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Um, so they're basically comparing <laughs> Jesus to Satan, <laughs> to the prince of demons. It's, it's incredible. Uh, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, you know, every kingdom divided, and he gives this wonderful thing, but um, 
it, it's one of those things where they were playing on this Old Testament God, Beelzebub, okay? and uh, even the priests knew about it, even when Jesus. So the significance that they that name was even there probably meant that throughout history, even up to this point, there's still people that worship him and the influences that, that are there. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just crazy. Um, anything else? I don't think so. Any questions or thoughts so far? Anything that you might need yeah. to... Um, let's just kind of go back to that mountain thing. Mountains are really important. That's where like the, the Greek gods, the Mount Olympus, comes from that concept. But even if you go back to the, like, the Genesis 6 story of uh, the sons of God and the women, if you look into that history, the Jews say that happened on Mount Hermon, or Harmon, which is actually up north as well. So that was like a really big thing, I know, for the gods... Um, and that's even, you know, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. God even, like you said, gives Moses the commandments up there. And that was thought to, that was the closest thing to the, because they always think of the gods being in the sky. So that was mm-hmm. the closest you could get to the gods on earth. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the, the connection, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's. And it's ingrained in our society. Like, um, a lot of people don't know that there's still remnants of it. Um, the holiday Easter Actually, if you take Easter, it translates to Ishtar. And Ishtar was one of these goddesses that was the goddess of fertility, which is why you see bunnies and eggs. So all that stuff is actually still tied back to the ancient practices in the spring where they'd worship Ishtar. Where that comes from, too. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah and I didn't, I didn't say that, but I mean, you know... Uh, the, you said fertility. A yeah. lot of their yeah. gods were for fertility, um, and uh, especially the, the higher-ranking ones. Um, Even the, I don't know if you're going to, I don't want to, were you going to talk about the exodus at all out of Egypt at all? I don't want to steal I it. don't know. Okay. I was going to, yeah. <laughs> it, it depends I don't if I get there or not. It might be in my notes yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I, I added like five rabbit trails today, yeah. so we'll see. I was going to say a lot of people don't know too until you do a study on this stuff, <laughs> is that like, when you go through and see the, pla- the plagues, the ten plagues, you just see them as these random things, but what they really were was he was actually attacking because they had multiple yeah. gods, and they had hierarchies. Yeah. So he was attacking, like, you know, the, like the reason he turns the Nile to blood is because they're attacking the god of the river, the, the Nile River, uh, the god of darkness, you know, the, the god of light, that's why he brought darkness. He was just, big, God was basically mocking. Yeah. Flies, Yeah, frogs. flies, yep, the, the Egyptian yeah. gods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and actually, I came across that, and I was gonna probably skim over it because yeah. I, I mean, that's another that's whole, whole story thing. Yeah. Or, or study. Um, but like the frogs, I mean, they even had. Uh, you remember how the Egyptians would put different animals on for heads? Well, they had a a, a god that had a frog head, and yeah, so <laughs> and uh, they were the. I wouldn't say they were the top gods of, of Egypt, because again, they had 1,500, um, but they were up there, and God was basically attacking the, their little gods, so, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, so anyway, moving on, moving on, where are we at here, where are we at? Uh, what do I want to say about this? Oh, so, so this, this is, this is kind of, so, again, um, watching uh, Expedition Unknown and all that got me really in, into this and studying. So uh, this is Lower Egypt, which I don't understand why Lower Egypt is actually above Upper Egypt, uh, because this is Upper Egypt and this is Lower Egypt. So it's, it's cool. 
But uh, this right here, on in Heliopolis, that uh, means city of the sun, and that is where Ra in Egypt, the, where Ra, the, the highest god, the protector of gods, that was the main city where they would worship him. Now, the Sphinx and the Great Pyramids and everything are just right over here um, on this side of uh, where Naf is up, up there. Um, but the thing about this is, uh, I mean, studying the Bible and reading it is one thing, but when you start to look at the locations, and if you look back at when Joseph right, was sent to Egypt, and then he had to do these storehouses, and, and he built storehouses of Pithom, right, and Ramses. Well, you can now see where they were. That's where he built them. Uh, kind of puts it in perspective of, like, like, it just brings life to it when you can actually see the location. So uh, whenever you're studying anything and there's a city named or a mountain or, you know, location, look it up and find out geographically where it's at because there's some significance to this. Um, but anyway, Heliopolis, uh, back in Genesis 41, 45 to 50, uh, home of Ra, uh, in Exodus 1, 11, um, was where the, um, it's, you know, a lot of people think that, uh, the Israelites built the, the pyramids, but I'm sorry to break the news to you. They didn't, they've been around long before they came. Um, and what I believe uh, is that they built these worship cities, right? They built the towers that these Egyptians worshipped. They built what are called obelisks, and they built the, the temples and the burial sites, and, you know, they built the cities of Egypt um, and the roadways uh, that were surrounding this, this area. Um, and one of the things that really stuck out to me was the word obelisk. Uh, the city of Heliopolis, uh, there's mighty stone tablets, uh, many, many, many. Uh, it's a word that plays off the word of skewer or spit. And if you look at them, uh, you can see why. <laughs> uh, they were known in Egypt as uh, Tekenu or Tepirs. Uh, they were monolithic. They were four-sided pyramid-topped pillars, rose high in the sky, uh, the center of worship of, of Ra, uh, several were taken uh, and placed around the world. Uh, Rome, Istanbul, two in Alexandria, one in London. And believe it or not, there's one in uh, Central Park, New York City. Uh, and that is this one. Uh, it's Cleopatra's Needle. Um, so if you ever go to Central Park, you could actually see this. It's about 55, 60 feet in the air. Um, and I thought, that's really weird because if you remember the poles. <laughs> Right, and you think of the Egyptians. I mean, they're they're very similar to me. And Joanne and I were actually watching Expedition Unknown and this and that, and, and seeing paintings of the Aztecs and the Egyptians with this big blue thing separating the two, and paintings and the pictures of the gods and everything. They're the same. So this made me think, like, wow, like how in the world do does the world get all these little gods and pictures and this and that? And um, this is just open for discussion. Uh, the, the little gods, the influence, right? Um, remember Adam and Eve, you know, the deception there. And I'm just, my mind straight went to that, well, there's little whispers, right, of 
you know, fear and doubt and, well, what if? And through all that, they create gods, you know, to help protect because when you believe in something, that gives you a little sense of protection. Um, so uh, all around, the, you know, the world, they're doing this and they're building and they're worshiping these gods, naming them different names, but ultimately they're all the same. <laughs> which was kind of mind-blowing. And that's where the dots connected, especially when, you know, it's talking about <clears throat> El and Asherah and Baal, right, and Beelzebub. And, you know, we have we know that the Egyptians had their gods. We know in Acts the, the Greeks had their gods. and But they're all, there's too many similarities between them that just, it just makes sense that this evil force that is out there wanting to deceive us and believe in a different God than what's out there. So what does God do? Well, that is where we're going to get into Revelation. <laughs> All right? Um, he reveals himself. Um, but one thing I... I uh, uh, um, anybody know what that one is? Yeah, that's the Washington Monument, by the way, which kind of looks a little... Yeah, so I looked up the guy, by the way, Robert Mills, who, who uh, won in 18-something, 18 1850s. Uh, he won the, the, the right to, to build it or whatever. Um, and I couldn't find any reason why he built, uh, created the, it to look like that um, other than he did. So, <laughs> so I, I'm just saying it's kind of weird. Like I was waiting for this like great mind blowing thing. Like oh, secretly he was in this society of you know worshiping. You know, but no, he he I couldn't find it. So, so good for him, I guess. <laughs> but I just thought it was weird that we. I mean, it's eerily similar. I, I just yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway, so but the cool thing is, and this is where we're gonna get to. Uh, if you just, I'm going to give you these for, for, uh, time's sake, Isaiah 19, 18 and Jeremiah 43, 18. Um, if you want to go there while I'm talking, you, you can maybe help save time by reading these. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar will break down the obelisks of Heliopolis. Like he'll, uh, it was foreshadowed that he would come in and tear all these down and destroy them. And um, when he got his reign, uh, that was in Jeremiah. In Isaiah 19, 18, God's going to destroy um, uh, these. Uh, but what I want to spend time on, when's my next slide? Nope. All right. Go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. So I think Pastor Brad was in here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know why I love to read, so I read fast. So as he's reading some verses and, and you know talking about these, I just started reading, and I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I'm studying. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, didn't even come across this. Uh, in 65, uh, we have... Um, Where's my notes on it? Oh, there it is. I see. I wrote it on a, another sheet. Isaiah 65. We have uh, in verse one. Uh, I revealed myself to those who did not did not ask for me. Right? That's revelation, right? God is revealing Himself even to those that didn't ask for it. Uh, two verses two to seven. Uh, there's a provoking, right? Uh, I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I, 
All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs, and, and it just goes on. Okay, uh, Verse 10 uh, talks about seeking. Uh, Sharon will come a pastor for will become a pastor for flocks, and the valley of Accor, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a fable for fortune. <coughs> now fortune here is capitalized because um, that's a play on a god that they believed in, um, and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny which is another God that they worshiped to. I will destine you for the sword and slaughter. Okay? Um, but if you go all the way down and then you go to 66 in the first couple verses here, I want you to catch what's, what's, what's said here. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man, and whoever offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood, and whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and their soul's delight in their uh, abominations. He's talking about these, these gods that they're worshiping, their, their worshiping practices. And you go back to the, the beginning here, God's commands from the beginning, right? Exodus 20, uh, verse 3, and Deuteronomy 5, 7, you shall have no other God before me. I mean, that's why he said this command, because he knew the influence that was out there. Do not have any other God. I am the one that's in control of everything. Okay, there's not a God of the river. There's not a God of the sun, of the moon, of the stars, right? I'm God of everything. And then, of course, he goes into Leviticus 20, 23. You must not love, okay, basically get married, According to the customs of nations, I am going to drive out before you. They didn't want to intermix. He didn't want this intermixing of peoples with him because he knew that there was going to be uh, an influence. I mean, look at Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the influences that are there. And then if we have uh, 2 Kings 17, 15, Ezekiel 11, 12, uh, and Isaiah 65, uh, the passages we just read. There's going to be judgment, Right? Uh, and this is one verse, Pastor Brad left, but I presented this question to him before. Uh, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but turn uh, to Psalm 82.1. I honestly am still studying this. Um, I actually stopped because I didn't know how deep I would go. Um, so I'm kind of just scratching the surface for you guys to study deeper. Um, but... I have my opinion right now, <laughs> if it means anything. Uh, but Psalm 82.1 reads, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. 
right? So I was like, wait, so where did these so-called little gods come from if he's the council? And then I thought about the, the throne room and, and I'm thinking if, if my mind is correct and if it's not, please correct me because it might be, you know, the, the plaster that's in my brain. <laughs> um, but the, the angels that have fallen, right, could they have not influenced people and couldn't they present themselves as little gods? Could they not whisper and go around and, you know, do dirty, filthy things, right? Lord of the filth, right? Couldn't they influence people into thinking we need to create this God because, you know, they put this fear in their mind. Um, and who's the judge of these angels? God is. So it's not unscriptural to think that. Um, is there truth behind it? I don't know. I have to study deeper. Um, but that is kind of where, uh, just a quick overview is where I'm at. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You can go ahead, Dave. I believe they, they were the fallen angels. I believe they did influence and still do today mm -hmm. mightily and deceive. But if we look at Job, we know from Scripture that Satan was able to return to heaven and accuse men mm -hmm. before God. So yeah. If you do a deep if you do a deep study of it, the gods the even like up till Jesus' time, they believe in all the gods to an extent because they're the lesser gods. So they were created beings, and if you do a deep study, Dr. Heiser's a really deep study. I've only I've just done a lot of deep studying over the last like five or ten years of this stuff. But basically what it says is there are 70 gods. If you go back, this all comes from the Tower of Babel story. Mm -hmm. So if you read the Table of Nations in Genesis 10, it starts breaking down all those descendants. And those are the ones that were split into the nations. So when they were split into the nations, what God did there, and if you go to, like, I think it's Deuteronomy 32. <coughs> if you go to Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, uh, you have to get the English Standard Version translation of the Hebrew. It'll say, you know, God split the nations up according to the number of the sons of God. So basically what God did at that time is what the ancients believed is that he, those 70 nations, he, he disinherited them. So he said, if you don't want me to be your God, I've given you multiple attempts, I did the flood, and you still don't want to worship me, you now have your own. And he set 70 of these high spirits over them. And even just like our army, not everybody's a general, not everybody's a soldier or a PI. Angels are usually messengers, and there's these high-ranking spirits. But there's 70 highest ones, and then what they do is they mock God. Basically, Satan oversees as their main God, and there's 70 under him, and then more and more. But that's where the Gentile gods come from. The whole Bible, if you understand that, is set up as these spirits are trying to trick, these 70 are trying to trick the Gentile nations to worshiping them, which they're doing. And God is going to re-inherit all the nations from these. And that's why Naaman, if you know Naaman, when he gets leprosy and he wants, he wants that dirt from Israel, it's because it's called cosmic geography. He, didn't, he wanted some of the God of Israel when he had to go back and worship in that temple where he knew that God wasn't the true God. But yeah, the, the 70 gods are like re very real, like even to this day, even in America. So America is a Gentile nation, theoretically, even though we call ourselves a nation of God. And they say what we've let in is a share. We've let all these gods, we've actually invited them in. Just like you have to invite the Holy Spirit in, America's invited them in. That's why you see the transgender, all that kind of stuff. It's of stuff of old that's come back around from the Gentile nations. We're just repeating the same stuff. But yeah. There's one other interesting uh, rabbit trail there. To me, it is. As Christianity spread across 
Europe and Asia and then to America, it just spread where people went. But when we were able to send people to the uttermost parts of the world, uh, having spent a lot of time at New Tribes or Ethnos 360 now, they, their claim is that there are two things common, whether it is the furthest part of the Amazon River Basin, or it's in the smallest island in Papua New Guinea, or no matter where in the world it was, they found a tribe. There was two things consistent. Every remote tribe had the creation story and a flood story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Every one of them. Yep. That yep. is amazing. Mm -hmm. No, it's insane. <clears throat> That's where they all have stories of gods coming down, yes. too. Almost every culture has. They'll call them, the natives used to call them the star people. Some, you know, now will call them aliens, but it's like the same kind of stuff. They always have these stories, and they would come down to these mountains, such as Mount Hermon, that's where Genesis 6 story is, and they'd come down and interact with them. But it's, it's common, the flood story, and gods from the skies coming down. It's like everywhere, and they didn't have cell phones back then to talk to each other, so. <laughs> so this is coming from their own land. <laughs> Glad they did. Yeah, I'm out of Yeah, so connecting the dots, uh, if you look at this Psalm 82, verse 1, um, and I have the NIV version. I know some are different. Um, but the first word is God, you know, capitalized God. That is Elohim. Okay, that is the capital E-L-O-H-I-M, which is up here. God the Creator. Okay. Then, in the last part of that, where it has God's, and mine has it in parentheses, lowercase g, that is little lowercase e, L-O. So it's, it's, it's the same word, but Elohim is, is God. And remember El, right? The Canaanite God El, uh, and the influence that they had on the Israelite nation. They had a polytheism, which is many gods, believing in many gods. The Israelites took that concept, and instead of, you know, saying there's many gods, they're like, no, no. Our God is God of one. Like, he is one. He's in control of everything. So that's where we get Elohim, El Elyon, El Olam, El Shaddai, El Kana. Uh, okay, these are all a play on that word where, yeah, God, like your mountain God, your, your God that you're worshiping, right? Well, it's, it's God, the Father. That's who God is. And he's not just, you know, God is just the sky, right? Uh, our God is the creator. He's the most high. He's the God of eternity. He's the jealous God, right? He's the mighty God, the God of my salvation, Okay. So that is where these names culturally kind of came from uh, in Scripture. And we'll specifically at the very end, I'm going to do a recap on some of the names of God at the very end when we go over the characteristics of, of God the Father. Um, but these are just, it's just a quick snapshot to show you the, the impact and the influence um, culturally uh, and is linguistically, is that maybe the right word? Um, how they put... Um, their beliefs into their, their own. So they went from a polytheism to a monotheism, one God. And then, of course, I had to throw in Jehovah, which is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And then uh, you have a lot of uh, Jehovah Nissi because that's when he reveals himself to Moses and basic, basically says, well, this is my personal name. This is who I am. And this is who you're going to tell everybody else who I am. So... Um, that's why there's so many names of, of God, but um, so Jehovah got a little more personal. Um, but if something happened in my life, 
um, I could be like, you know, and, and they would set up an altar. You could name it like, you know, the Lord is my helper or the Lord is my um, protector, right? And you would put L and then whatever the phrase would be for protector. Um, so, yeah. I like that you did this too because one of my big troubles when I tell people about the other gods and how they're real, I always say like, God wouldn't have wasted his breath on his first commandment mentioning them. And he also wouldn't call himself the most high God. He'd call himself the only God, which he does. But he called himself most high because there are these other gods. But I'll sometimes start out calling them angels to people just because they can't understand when I say the other gods. They're like, there is no other gods, Eric. I'm like, yes, there is. But if you go back, it's, it's because of this. I'm glad that you put this here because when you say God, people think his name is God, but it's not. God is an identity of a high-powered, spiritual, free-willed being, which there are others. And that's why even humanity can be considered gods, little gods, and ourselves in that same definition. But it's really important, uh, yod heh or Yahweh or Jehovah is naming the personal God of Israel. And that was really big back then, too, because every God had a name. And that's why you can bundle them in the God. So there really are other gods in the Bible, but not what people think, because then when people think the creator God, there's really only one true God, and it's Yahweh. So I'm really glad you put them there, because I always have to break that barrier when I tell people there's other gods. Then I have to, so I've told people angels, and then you walk them into Psalm 82 and Deuteronomy 32 and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. So, where are we going? <laughs> Theology proper. So, there are limitations. I had to put this in here to study, and uh, a lot of people say this. For, number one, I can't do it justice. Okay, you have to go and study God the Father yourselves. That's where you build your relationship with Him. That's what He ultimately wants. So, I'm just presenting you with these verses, with these ideas. And then I hope and pray that you would could take this and do your own little studies. Um, so no one study is, is comprehensive. So what I say here isn't like it. I mean, this, <laughs> there's so much on this. Because our infinite or, or our finite mind cannot truly grasp <laughs> um, what God the Father is or who God the Father is. Uh, we can do the best we can. Um, but unfortunately, our sinful nature also is a continuous roadblock. Right, And then, of course, God is the only true source who can reveal himself. So through this study, you know, he's revealing himself to me, hopefully to relay it to you, so that when you hear stuff, he reveals himself to you in different ways as well. So, um, so I just want to let you know, like, we're going to try our best <laughs> to, to look at God the Father and, and uh, fearfully respect that. Uh, however, this study uh, seeks to teach us about who God the Father is, Uh, his existence, uh, his person of the Trinity, and then, of course, his character. Um, So that is is ultimately where we're we're moving. Uh, Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me and those who seek seek me find me. Um, And I have this ship here because if your idea of God the Father is like an inch off, and if you're sailing a boat, if you're an inch off, <laughs> by the time you get to your destination, you're going to be miles off, right? Um, and in that line of thinking, if your idea of who God the Father is, like your buddy upstairs or your best friend or, you know, the guy that sits on the, the throne, you know, you give him all these uh, titles, um, your theology and who he is might actually deter you in other theologies and your other beliefs. So you really have to be grounded in who God the Father is so that you can kind of hone in all the other other ones. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Sunum bonum, uh, the high, <clears throat> the highest good. Uh, in Jeremiah nine twenty three to twenty four, Ecclesiastes one seventeen eighteen, Proverbs two one to two, James one one to eight. Uh, if you want these, I can I can give them to you. Uh, but in Latin, this phrase uh, means the highest good of a, <coughs> out of which other good flows. And the scripture teaches that knowing God is the highest good. Uh, I put uh, I love Ecclesiastes. Um, but what does what does Solomon end up saying, right? Um, vanity, oh vanity, right? Everything is meaningless except the pursuit of God. That is the highest good we can have. So in our relationship, in our daily walk, our highest good day in and day out is to ultimately drive ourselves to knowing who God is in our life. Um, that is the highest good, the result uh, that virtue flows from this knowledge. Knowing God more. And then, of course, James 1, when they have to throw in James, because that's my favorite book. So I had to throw that in there. Uh, and then, I don't know if I can read that. Uh, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 9. Right? Um, here the Lord says through Jeremiah, the knowledge of him is the greatest pursuit. Okay, It's not uh, pursuit of strength. It's not pursuit of wisdom. Uh, it's not pursuit of power. Right? The greatest thing that we can boast about is knowing our God. Right? Um, that is the first and foremost thing um, that we can. And to know is an intimate relationship. Okay. Um, to know what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this is the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Right? I mean, that phrase right there, like, what's, what's, what's better? What's a better goal than that? Um, that was a quote I, I came across, and uh, pretty cool. And I got Philippians 3, 7 to 8. Now, finally, we're just considering God primarily through an academic per perspective. Um, but through this, I hope that you'll do further study and through that, uh, gain a closer intimacy with God. Um, and it's not just knowing Him, um, but knowing Him, we are transformed, right? Because those that know him and have accepted him and believe what Jesus did, right? We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And I believe the closer, it's kind of like the marriage concept where you have the husband and wife at the bottom. And as two, each of them are getting closer to God, they're, or they're getting closer to each other. And I believe the same concept here. You know, as we are studying and searching uh, scriptures of who God is uh, and worshiping. I mean, when we go out here and fellowship and worship God, I and mean, we're going to be worshiping as one body. I mean, that's incredible to think about, right? Lifting our voices to God. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Um, so, uh, glory to God. Uh, so, um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, he is a God and therefore worthy to be adored, feared, modeled, and that is our hope. So, all right. General Revelation next time. So if you've never studied what General Revelation is, you can do a quick Google search on it, and uh, good luck. <laughs> You'll get a basic idea of what it is. Um, I'll just go in a little more detail. So, uh, Any closing thoughts that you have?
on anything that I said. I hope that some of the dots were connected with understanding the little gods, their influence, and uh, how it just all points to, to God the Father. So, and hopefully, the, like I said, the revelation next week, uh, when we dig into that, um, you'll be able to see um, you know, kind of why I did what I did. So, All right, let's pray.